Hi, everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Hey guys, welcome back to RX Rounds. First of all, thank you so much for sending all the love, all of the feedback through our website and our WhatsApp. We absolutely love hearing from you and please continue to share those stories with us. Since our recent episode on breastfeeding with Dr. Pennicott, a lot of new moms have had questions concerning lactation. So today, of course, we brought in the expert and I am chatting with Dr. Patrice Brown. She is a lactation consultant and board certified nurse practitioner. Dr. Brown comes to us with over 10 years of experience helping new parents transition into their new roles. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brown. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am of Caribbean descent. My mom and dad are both from the beautiful island of Jamaica. Actually, as well as my husband, he is also um, a Jamaican. Um, And I was raised here, although they are uh, from Jamaica. I was raised here, but the culture was was totally the same. Granted that outside of the home, it was the American culture, but in the home, it was totally Jamaica. Uh, I spent many summers there as a child. I visited every year minimum once a year growing up. Um, And in fact, in 2014, I went back to Kingston and did a mission trip. And it was a simple name, uh, Mission Jamaica 2014, where I went to Jubilee Hospital, which is the public hospital for women in Kingston and offered some classes on childbirth education and breastfeeding and brought down supplies for the moms. Uh, Unlike here in the U.S. where women get everything. I mean, you can literally walk off the street and have your baby and you'll get your clothes, you get your meals, you'll get toiletries, diapers, everything. In In Jamaica, it's not like that. You need to bring certain supplies with you. So Part of this trip was um, bringing supplies that the mothers would need in the hospital so they wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, that at least that part of the financial burden could have been alleviated and some books and things like that. And that was pretty cool. Um, a little bit about myself, my professional training. I am a board certified family nurse practitioner and I have a doctorate in nursing practice. Uh, in addition to my NP certification, I am also an internationally board-certified lactation consultant. I am a Lamaze-certified childbirth educator, and I'm also a certified maternal newborn nurse. I completed training as a birth doula with the Doulas of North America Association, and I also completed some training in infant massage. Like anything related to moms and babies that I could have learned in my career, I learned it because I wanted to be able to better support my patients. Wow. So it sounds like you're going to give us everything we need to know about lactation in continuation with the previous episode. Oh, yeah. That and some more. (laughs) Wow. So tell us, like, what does a lactation consultant do? So a lactation consultant, and it's important to differentiate because there are lactation counselors, there are, you know, breastfeeding supporters and encouragers, people who really are interested in it, yet don't have the special training. 
the term lactation consultant is actually a registered trademark. In order to call yourself a lactation consultant, you have to be board certified and the board of examiners is international. So the full term is an internationally board certified lactation consultant. And it's pretty rigorous, the process. There's 90 credit hours that are required. It covers ethics. It covers, of course, human lactation. There's biochemistry. And there's also a clinical component, uh, a practical component. And after that is met, then you can sit for the exam. And when I took the exam almost 10 years ago, it was six hours, two parts, paper, pencil. Now that we have things on the computer, it's less. I think it's like three or four hours now, which is a huge improvement. So I'm grateful for technology. (laughs) Yeah. And so the International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, or IBCLC, um, would have not only to go through that examination process, but there's also a code of ethics and a standard of practice that we use and that we function by that that governs our practice. Hmm. Well, we had a lot of questions from folks after our previous episode with our pediatrician, Dr. Pennicott, and we decided we needed a specialist in this area to answer some of these questions. So one of the things we had specifically for new moms was you know, um, Dr. Pennicott talked about breastfeeding not necessarily being painful, but moms are saying, I am having pain during breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So what exactly mm-hmm. causes this pain? That's a good question. Like, that is the heart, the crooks, the center of breastfeeding and breastfeeding success is if you can get that baby latched on. Um, and, and she is right, Dr. Pennicott. I listened to that episode. It was a very good episode, by the way, plug for anyone who hasn't checked it out yet. Um, she's right where she says that uh, it should not hurt. Breastfeeding shouldn't be painful. Nipple feeding, on the other hand, is painful. But breastfeeding, you should just feel a strong suction. And um, why so many women still feel that discomfort? It's the latch. Uh, uh, many, many, many babies, they latch on right to the nipple. And, then, um, and they're suctioning that for 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes at a time. Initially, the mom doesn't feel any discomfort. But imagine that eight to 10 times a day, by the end of the first day, you're like, ouch, what's going on? This hurts. And that's because the baby's latch is shallow. So you want the baby to have a deep latch. And there's also something, even though the baby may have a deep latch, some women might say, huh, there's still a little discomfort initially. And that is attributed to nipple stretching. The nipple will stretch up to two times its size when the baby latches on to feed. And that, and Dr. Pentecott mentioned it. She described the, the hard palate and the soft palate in, our, in the roof of our mouth. The baby literally will stretch the mom's nipple way down to the back of the mouth to help the milk go straight down the throat. And you can feel that nipple stretching. And that lasts five seconds. It shouldn't last the duration of the feeding. So if you're noticing discomfort lasting the duration of the feeding, you wanna check the latch. Okay. So can you explain what exactly is a deep latch for us? Good good question. A deep latch, that is when the baby is able to get as much of the areola, that's the dark spot around the nipple, into the mouth as possible. We can get technical and say an inch over and all that, those technicalities. Um, I've worked with women who've had very small areolas and they've had large nipples. So you want as much of the areola that that baby can get in that is comfortable into the baby's mouth. 
for um, feeding, and that is a deep latch. Is there anything that can affect the latch for a baby? Maybe, yes. as you mentioned, the size of the areola, any other things? Yes, absolutely. So there are things for the baby and things for the mom. So for the baby, if um, the mouth is small, that can be something. We have something that we call um, a tongue tie. And a tongue tie is uh, the, the baby's tongue is like anchored to the mouth. So when you look and the baby cries and they like lift their tongue, there's like a piece of, of flesh that's there. I'll say, I'll say a string for simple, simp, keeping it simple, that anchors the baby's tongue to the mouth. So when the baby tries to bring their tongue over the gum line, you notice that this baby's crying, yet their tongue is staying at the base of their mouth. That can cause discomfort if a baby has a tongue tie and mom is trying to breastfeed, because instead of the tongue cupping the breast, now the baby's gums are like clamping down on mom's nipple or the areola, and that can cause increased discomfort. So that's one of the things as well. Um, uh, for the mom, she can have a short nipple or a flat nipple or an inverted nipple, and that can make it challenging to latch. Not impossible, but challenging. So outside of the latch, are there any other things that can make it painful for mom? With breastfeeding? Well, the latch is the key, the, the, the biggest thing. And not only with the nipple latching, but also what I described. If there's a baby with a tongue tie, if the baby is small, like sometimes our little ones, like our premature babies, and if mom has like a really large nipple, they have difficulty latching and it might be shallow. Um, though that's one thing. If mom has something going on, like an infection, I know we're may talk later about certain things that affect the babies, but like if there's thrush or something, for example, that can be very painful with the baby latching on. Um, those, those are the major things. There are other things as well, but the biggest thing is usually the latch because that's the first thing that happens and first, first thing to break the nipple down. Once mm -hmm. there's that nipple breakdown and if you have that soreness, you can have a perfect latch after, but your nipples will still feel a little tender because of that, that breakdown. I don't use the word trauma, but that breakdown that's happened, that injury that has happened. Right. So some of the moms were asking about engorgement. Tell us what that is. Okay, engorgement. That is an overfilling of the breast. And it happens when, uh, it peaks around like day three to day five when the milk starts coming in. Um, and it happens when the breasts aren't being emptied um, fast enough. So you don't want to go more than four hours without emptying the breast because that can put you at increased risk for engorgement. Um, the babies are pretty effective at emptying the breast. But again, if you have a baby who's not latching well or a mom who has tenderness to the nipple and she's not putting the baby on, or um, you can run into engorgement. So in those cases, I would say, mom, you want to use your hands to express milk or get a pump to express milk because you want to remove the milk from the breast. Because if you leave it in there, it'll lead to engorgement and engorgement can be very painful um, and you want to prevent that. And there are other things that can come secondary to there being engorgement and it's totally preventable. Hmm. Are there any techniques to, um, like specifically to eliminate engorgement? I know you mentioned, you know, trying to use the and breast. And well, for number one, we always want to prevent as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So in the event that it does happen, right? Uh, 
what happens if it's overnight, you're sleeping, the baby doesn't wake up for a feeding and you slept and it's like five, six hours. You're like, ouch, my breasts are full. How can I get rid of this milk? So hand expression will absolutely work wonders. That's using your hand to express the milk, also using a pump. And you can put ice to the breast, kind of reduce the swelling or cabbage leaves. Like you can tuck the cabbage leaves into your bra. That's also helpful as well with cooling the breast down. And it does eventually, so you want to be careful because prolonged use of cabbage can actually, there's been evidence to show it can actually um, reduce your milk supply. Wow. So women who are trying to wean, you'll see them putting cabbage leaves in their, um, keeping cabbage leaves in their, their bras um, because it does have that impact as well or that effect as well. Wow, that's good to know. So essentially cabbage leaves may not ideally be the best thing as we you know, often hear about. So you can use it temporarily. Just mm-hmm. put it in the bra. Once it's quilted or withered, then you can toss it. Okay. What about infections? If like some mom may have an infection on the breast, how, what may cause that? Well, one of the, the most common ones is um, thrush that might happen. Now, the way bacteria grows is in an environment that is warm, moist, and dark. And so the breast is leaking milk, The bre- uh, so that's moisture. It's going to be trapped in the bra or covered and concealed in the bra, so it's dark. And the breasts are warm because that milk, when that milk is making, boy, there's a lot of activity going on on the breast. It's actually the most metabolically active, or um, to keep it simple, the most active part of the body is the lactating breast, burning so many calories. 20% of everything you consume is being used to make that breast milk. So those breasts are working hard, which is why you'll hear breastfeeding moms lose weight faster in the first six months. It is absolutely true because the body is working so hard to produce the milk. So you got all that milk production. So that's the warmth, the, the, the heat that's there. And so it's a perfect environment for bacteria to grow. So if there is a, a damaged nipple, you know, the baby bit down really hard or the skin got cracked somehow, then our skin has normal bacteria on it. It can go right into the crack and then it can start to grow. So you want to be careful or be mindful of like cleansing the breast, cleansing the area, um, taking daily showers, things like that. You'll be surprised um, after, after having a newborn, everything goes into the time. You don't know what day it is of the week, <laughs> what time of day it is. You're like, is today Monday or is it Wednesday? Like, did I shower today or was that like a day and a half ago? It is so real and so common to just have, you're just going at a time warp. Yeah. So somebody might say daily showers, that's a no brainer. You will be surprised. There's a struggle to even know um, if you brushed your teeth for the day. You're like, wait a minute. Um, should I eat? Should I sleep? Should I shower? What should I do? The baby's finally sleeping, you know? <laughs> yeah. And your changed as a new mom. Uh, even for the dad, he wants to sleep too. It's just such a, a huge dynamic shift when the baby comes into play. But trying to keep some of that, those um, hygienic practices are very helpful to reducing infection, especially around the nipple area. So what I would say, so speaking before about having the cracked nipples and we have normal bacteria on our skin and they can go into the nipple. Um, what you want to do is leave the nipples just open to air, especially if you have like a crack or something or some kind of damage to the nipple, leave it open to air after a feeding. 
and let the air just kind of cool it down. And it's also going to dry it as well. Um, we have gel pads. We have creams that you can put on. You can even express a little bit of milk and put it on the nipple. That will help to heal it as well. And just kind of leave things open to air. Um, speaking of thrush, and I mentioned it a little bit before, but that is um, an infection. It's caused by yeast. Um, and what can happen with the baby, so let's say the mom gets that infection in her nipple and the baby starts feeding, the baby can get the thrush infection as well, pick it up on their tongues. You'll see white patches on the tongue and in the mouth. But just because you see a white patch doesn't mean it's thrush. It can also be milk on the baby's tongue. So you wanna get that diagnosed medically. You want your pediatrician or your pediatric NP or whoever's seeing the baby to diagnose with thrush before you start doing any kind of home treatments because the baby could just have a little milk on their tongue mm -hmm. and then you're getting something from somewhere trying to give this baby and it's totally unnecessary. Um, but for the mom, it can be very painful as well. So if you notice that there's pain pain while you're feeding, the baby's latch is perfect. You're noticing these white patches. You see something on your nipple as well or your breast as well. You want to get that checked out. Great. Well, there's this other term called letdown. And moms are asking us, what causes it? What is it exactly? Can you tell us? Sure. Letdown is a wonderful thing. We lactation consultants love to hear when women have letdown. And it's a normal thing that'll happen while you're breastfeeding. And what that is, is literally what the word says. The milk is being let down from the breast cells. It's being released. Um, the technical term is the milk ejection reflex. And so that is the milk literally be, being ejected from the, the cells in the breast. So what causes it is an oxytocin. That's a hormone. We call it the love hormone. And oxytocin is literally the hormone responsible for putting the baby in the body and for responsible for getting the baby out. And it's responsible for squeezing those milk cells to release the um, milk. Um, how do you get oxytocin to be released? Uh, it's sensory. So hearing the baby cry will cause a letdown. Looking at the baby will impact letdown. Having the baby touch you while feeding, that'll cause a letdown. So when we have moms who go back to work and they want to pump um, to bring the baby, the milk home, they want to continue with breast milk, we tell the moms, have a picture with you because that'll stimulate oxytocin and they'll stimulate a letdown. So it'll help you with um, expressing milk for your baby when you're separated. And having that picture is gonna stimulate the sensory, there's your, your vision, get that oxytocin going. Sometimes a woman will be at the supermarket or the store, hear another baby crying, and they look down like, oh my goodness, my shirt is wet, what is going on? There's a letdown, because your body knows, baby crying, I need to let out some milk. It's an amazing way how our body works and how it's created, it's beautiful. Yeah. So what if the baby refuses to breastfeed? What are some of our options in those cases? Mm, okay. Now this is an interesting question. So is it refuses to breastfeed because, or and mom desires to breastfeed, or is it refused to breastfeed and she wants another option? So I'll answer it two ways. 
Um, the first is if the baby's refusing to breastfeed, and let's say this is a mom who comes in and she wants to continue breastfeeding. What I would do, of course, I know I keep saying the latch is so important, but I would check to see what's, what's going on here. Um, if the baby's on the breast and pulling the head away and keeps doing that, why is the baby doing that? Can the baby even breathe? Sometimes, especially with the newborns, um, they're congested. And newborns, um, they cannot breathe through their nose and their mouth. It's one at a time. So when they're on the breast, um, if they're suckling, you'll notice that they'll suckle, suckle, they stop, and they breathe. They catch their breath, and then they start sucking again. So if you see a baby that's like struggling at the breast as a newborn, latches perfect, everything that mom is doing is well, I always check to see, let me see this baby, let me listen in. You can hear if the baby's congested. So you want to do a check and make sure that the baby is actually able to breathe while they're on the breast um, and not congested. Because you'll see the congested baby, they go on, they pull off, they go on, they pull off because they're like, I, I can't breathe with this breast in my mouth and my nose is congested. Mm -hmm. So I always check that, check first to see what's going on. Um, if it's like later on and mom's milk is in, I'll check to see that she have an overactive letdown. What is an overactive letdown? Literally what the word, um, what the phrase says, overactive. So the milk is letting down, but it's coming down really heavy. And so it's like this choking the baby. So the baby is getting this flood of milk and they're like <laughs> at the breast pulling back because it's just too much coming down. So I'm going to check and see what's going on. Why does it seem like this baby is refusing? Another thing that I would check is um, how does the baby interact on mom's chest? I had a woman come into my office. And I think the baby might have been seven days old. So her milk was in and she's like, the baby's not taking it. And I said, hmm. she was latching okay before. So when I observed her with the breast, when she held the baby, the baby would go to the chest and start screaming, not even on the breast, already crying. And so the baby went to her husband, no crying. Baby went to the grandma. She came with her mother and her husband, no crying. Back to the mom's chest, she's crying. So. I gave her a glove finger and she would stop. I said to her, even though you have the milk here, whatever anxiety, whatever tension it is she had towards the breastfeeding, babies can pick that up. Mm. And I saw her in that moment trying to latch the baby and she was calm. I don't know what she was doing at home when she was frustrated. Was she really trying to pull the baby really forcefully to the breast and all this anxiety and this tension around the feeding time? The baby's going to respond to that. So my advice to her was she had to put the baby skin to skin and the baby had to relearn that your chest is a safe place. Once the baby can get back to that, then the baby can latch on. I checked everything else. Everything was fine. The only thing that was left was mom, what's going on here with the baby and you? And so sometimes there can be that as well. So there's that refusing to breastfeed. But then there are times when um, the moms as well decide that they don't want to breastfeed. They're like, I tried it. This, this baby is tearing off my nipple or this feels a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not used to that kind of sensation. I think I want to pump. So there's also an option of pumping if you still want the benefit of breast milk. And, um, for us here in the States, formula is available as well. And it's available freely in the Caribbean. I know that um, there's formula as well. And the water tends to be cleaner. So World Health Organization recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months 
and for two years and beyond as long as mutually desired. In the US, it's recommended for one year and beyond as long as mutually desired. And the reason for that, that six months and even for the two years worldwide is because of access to clean water. And so um, a leading cause for death in a newborn is like diarrhea around the world. And that is related to not having access to clean water. So that's why they encourage um, the babies to, to breastfeed as long as possible. So um, when you say other options, if there's a baby refusing to breastfeed, we do have that as well. You can express the milk and we also have formula, but you wanna make sure that you have a clean water supply. Yeah. So how can moms ensure that they're pr producing sufficient breast milk? Are there things they should be eating? Are there um, specific activities they should do? What are some mm -hmm. things they can do to ensure that they have adequate breast milk for the baby? Okay, good question, because everybody wants to make sure they have enough milk for their baby and even more to stock up with. <laughs> so um, one thing that's good to do is have a good, healthy diet. You want to have a nourishing diet. Um, that is an excellent way to produce good milk. Now, our bodies will take the best of everything that we eat to produce the breast milk from the baby. So you don't want to be alarmed if they're if somebody listening and you know they're questioning like I can't afford this or that. It's okay. Do the best that you can, and your body will take the very best from you to make mm -hmm. the milk for your baby. Um, so you want to have a good diet. Definitely have plenty of fluids. Um, and also try to watch your stress level. Believe it or not, stress impacts everything, even down to the milk supply. And try to get rest when you can. Some things that actually help, foods that literally will help you to produce milk. Oatmeal has been researched and proven time and time again. It really helps with um, increasing milk supply. Also, um, Moringa, for those in the Caribbean, that is also very helpful for um, milk supply, ginger. Um, something common in, in the Caribbean is lemongrass, um, AKA fever grass. That's also really good for helping with breast milk. Um, here in the States, they sell a mother's milk tea. And if you look at the ingredients, you'll see like lemongrass in some of them. And um, that's very interesting because it's wild in the Caribbean, you know? <laughs> right. Get some and boil some and drink it. That'll help your milk supply and ginger as well. But at the same token, certain things in the Caribbean that can impact the supply to reduce it that we're not aware of, um, sorrel, some, some may know, but most people who I've spoken to from Caribbean descent didn't know that. And sorrel flows freely during the holidays, but sorrel can impact your milk supply by reducing it. Also um, peppermint and thyme. So you wanna be careful with those things having um, those in teas and excess amounts because it can reduce your milk supply. Wow. See, definitely stuff we didn't know about. So good to know. So now we're going to transition into our Mythbuster segment. And I know you did some mission work in Jamaica. So you may have heard some of the myths in breastfeeding with those families. Yeah. So can you share some of those things with us? What are some myths that you know of in terms of yeah. breastfeeding? So I'll share one thing that I heard of, or and it's actually pretty prevalent. Just last week, I had a patient who I was helping um, who was breastfeeding, and she asked me this question as well about giving the baby's tea. And now her baby was 
three days old and she wanted to know if she should give the baby tea and the concern was about gas you know so when you say tea you mean like our tea bags yeah okay tea that is like boiled um do you give them ginger tea or peppermint tea to kind of help with gas and things like that for adults it's okay but can you give that to a a baby and what you want to do is you don't want to give your newborn baby any kind of tea um, and there are several reasons. Number one, uh, the, you don't want the baby to be burnt because the tea is very hot. So they might say, oh, we'll cool it down. We won't give it to them too warm. Uh, certain things can't be digested by the newborn gut. But before we get in, even into digestion, the water, we don't give the babies that early water. The earliest that you'll hear pediatricians wanting to give in maybe four months. And even then it would be a small amount. So the recommendation is six months exclusive breastfeeding where possible, or if the baby's formula feeding, formula. And you don't want to give water. Now there may be circumstances that your pediatrician might recommend it, and that would be on a case-by-case basis, but you want to avoid that water for the newborn. So in one of the hospitals where I work, there were babies coming in in the summers. Lots of them were having seizures and couldn't pinpoint what was going on. So um, the team did some digging in and found that the families to extend the formula, they were diluting the formula. So the babies were getting more water and the, the balance for the nutrients and the water wasn't what it should have been. So the babies, their electrolytes balance became imbalanced and they started having seizures. And it was significant, the amount of babies that were coming in because they wanted to, to give them more water. So you want to be mindful um, that we are not giving the babies water because there is an impact to that. So if you're concerned about the baby burping or being gassy, make sure that you're burping them after they feed. You want to hold that baby upright and burp the baby because the babies will get gassy. And when they're gassy, boy, it's terrible. So they're so uncomfortable and they cry and cry and cry because that's the only way they know how to communicate is by crying. They um, cry when they're hot. They cry when they're cold. They cry when they're gassy. They cry when they're wet. Like they cry for everything. So um, it's the only way they know how to communicate. So you want to make sure that at least for the gas sake, you can try to alleviate that by when they're feeding, patting them on the back to help to get rid of it. Um, there are ways too you can lay them down and pull their little legs up to their chest and kind of help them to get rid of the air that way. Um, and again, just to reinforce the burping, just make sure that they're burping after you feed them, burping well. And then there's also gripe water. So you can talk to your pediatricians about gripe water as well. That here in the United States is over the counter, um, but you can speak to your pediatrician and uh, see what their preferences are on gripe water and which one they would recommend. Okay. So what about the gut, the baby's gut? You started mentioning something in terms of that. Well, about digestion. Yeah. Yes, you want to be careful of what you're giving the baby. So I worked with another couple and they were looking for formula to give the baby to supplement the breastfeeding. Mom was having pains with the nipple latching. Her baby actually had a tongue tie and it was even painful for her to express. And she decided that she wanted to supplement with formula. And she was looking for like something organic, something totally natural. And I said, please send me um, a picture of what it is you're looking into. And when I read it, it was for like a 12 month old. This baby was just two or three days. So I let her know that there are certain things that 
a 12-month-old can digest that a two-day-old cannot digest. Certain things should not be introduced into their stomach so early, and you run the risk of there being allergies and certain things like that because of, or them being sensitized to certain things because it's being introduced so early. And so you wanna be mindful of what you're giving the baby and when you're introducing it. And those who are going to supplement or use formula, make sure that the can or the bottles, whatever you're using, that it says it's appropriate for a newborn, for infants and newborns. You don't wanna get a 12 month plus formula for somebody, for a baby that is less than 12 months. Got it. Any other myths that you can think of? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> I'm, I'm carried away with explaining that one. Another one that I used to see in the hospital, um, in particular, this, so I spent a lot of time working in a hospital. I had patients from the Dominican Republic. Um, and so one of the things there was that the breast milk couldn't touch the baby's skin. If the breast milk touches the baby's skin, the skin is going to be bad. It'll be bad skin. The breast milk can't touch the skin. And that is not true. The breast milk is actually very healing towards a newborn baby's skin. So you want to let the baby, if the breast milk goes on the skin, it's okay. We've had babies who had like irritations to their skin and we express the little milk and rub it on that irritation and it clears up. So it is totally fine if the breast milk touches the baby's skin. That's not, it's not bad. Um, in one drop of breast milk, is there 100,000 or is it a million white blood cells? The number is astronomical in just one drop of breast milk. So it's not harmful for the breast milk to touch the baby's skin. And another one that I used to hear a lot of was, I can't drink while I'm breastfeeding because it'll affect the baby. It's not good for the baby's stomach if I eat or drink while breastfeeding. And it is totally okay to have something while you're breastfeeding, especially water, because the same, the oxytocin that's causing letdown is going to cause an incredible thirst to hit you while you're breastfeeding. And so you can satisfy that thirst by having a sip of water. Now, while you're breastfeeding, you're not going to want to have like a hot cup of tea or coffee because of the risk of burn for the baby, but you can absolutely have something cool to drink while you're feeding to um, satisfy that thirst. Well, definitely I learned something today. Um, and all of the moms who've been asking us questions and sharing their wonderful stories with us, I hope they were able to gain something from this episode. So is there mm -hmm. anything you want your, our listeners to know about lactation uh, in closing? Ah, lactation. Lactation is a wonderful thing. I would definitely say don't give up if it, if it gets a little challenging. Look for resources, seek support. To contact Dr. Brown, visit her website at babyloveservices.com. If you enjoyed this episode, visit Rx Rounds on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you next rounds on Rx Rounds.